You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month. And in return, you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Welcome, welcome to Attaboy Clarence. Come on in, take off that coat, join me in front of the crackling fire. We've got a bumper show for you tonight, and welcome also to October, Halloween month. Of course, I'm going to be going all out horror before the month is through. But for today, let's just hint at the spooks to come with a sinister smasher from Glenn Miller and his orchestra. up a plan, dressed as a man, walking the earth and since he began, the world is hell for you and me, but what a heaven it will be, when that man is dead and gone, when that man is dead and gone, we'll go dancing down the street, kissing everyone we meet, when that man is dead and gone. What a day to wake up on, what a way to greet the dawn. Some fine day the news will flash, Satan with a small mustache is asleep beneath the lawn. When that man is dead and gone. Satan with a small mustache is asleep beneath the lawn when that man is dead and gone. When that certain man is dead and gone, gone, gone. When that man is dead. Stupid.
pandas. That was Glenn Miller with When That Man Is Dead and Gone. Halloween is a coming. Just very quickly, it's my pleasure to announce that the film festival is also coming. Yes, on the 20th and 21st of November, two days of classic movie programming, some absolute treasures coming your way. On Saturday the 20th, it is open to all, so do come on in. The link will be with you very soon. You can drop in or out in the comfort of your own home. Simply click to enter and you'll be there with us in our special online screening room. On Sunday the 21st, it's Patron Day, so a slightly more specialist selection of movies. And if you are a patron already, you're invited to a Zoom call with me and everyone else on Sunday the 17th of October at 18.15 BST so that you can tell me what it is you'd like to see. Mark the dates in your diaries then, the 20th and 21st of November, for the Attaboy Clarence Classic Movie Festival. See you there. Friends, here is a timely tune that is just bound to bring back that old barber shop quartet. It's a great new song about that great new shaver, the Remington. Okay, boys, take it away. Boys, for the shave you've always wanted, the shave you've never had. Reach for the Remington and you'll be glad. Though your skin is awfully tender, your beard is awfully tough. Reach for the Remington and that's enough. For the shaver that can shave a brush will make your beard behave. Who got high and shaved a brush? The shaver that can shave a peach. We'll give you a peach of a shave. Who got even higher and shaved a fruit? So tomorrow see your dealer and try it for a while. Reach for the Remington on this free trial. And you ladies, if you're shopping for presents on the sly, there ain't a man who wouldn't love a PS5. Reach for the Remington to give your guy. Well, thank you, boys. That's wonderful. Isn't that a wonderful song? I particularly like the part right in here that goes, For the shaver that can shave a brush will make your beard behave. The shaver that can shave a peach will give you a peach of a shave. I actually feel like I need a shower after listening to this man. Believe me, that is really the truth. This amazing Remington will give you a close, comfortable shave no matter how tough your beard, no matter how tender your skin. Really intense eye contact going on with this guy somewhere right now. You know, that is so true. Men are getting such wonderful shaves from the Remington that throughout the world, more people buy Remington shavers than any other make. Uh, they used to before this advertisement. Well, anyway, over we go now for a return engagement with the What's My Line team. Yes, for all of you who love to play along at home, it's time to identify the mystery voice. So prick up your ears. Listen for the clues, and let's see if you can tell. Who the hell is that Hollywood legend? And now we come to the special feature of our program, the appearance of our mystery celebrity. My friends on the panel would recognize our guest immediately, so as usual, they have been supplied with blindfolds. Are they all in place, panel? Yes, sir. Good. Will you come in, mystery challenger, and sign in, please? Panel, as you know, in the case of our mystery celebrity, we get right down to the general questioning, which we will begin with Miss Dorothy Kilgallen. Are you in the world of entertainment? Grab it. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what did you say? 
What did it say? <laughs> I asked the same question, Miss Dorothy. That was Martian talk. It means yes. Uh... Are you uh, in what might be termed show business rather than the athletic world? Reindendorf and Skyboing. That means yes. Are you a performer? The move. That also means yes. Uh, uh, have you ever been in the movies? The move, move. That means yes too. Have you ever been on television? A Gleekendorf and Treaty Sack. <laughs> that means indubitably. Uh, do you do anything in addition to straight acting, such as comedy, singing, dancing, or playing a musical instrument? Uh, and tap it. <laughs> this, this means yes, oh, Well, do you sing? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> One down and nine to go. That was a no, Mr. Allen. Uh, are you a man? Uh, it's medical and sign, boy. Sweetie. That means no. Two down and eight to go, Miss Francis. Raveny on the treadle by the Kranz van? Welcome, Captain. You are, therefore, a woman. <laughs> Very good, Miss Arley. Are you a leading woman rather than a character actress? It's a moo. Huh? As I remember, moo was yes a few questions ago. <laughs> I'm having a little trouble here. Uh, yes? Yeah. Yes. yes. You say you have appeared on television indubitably. Does that mean that you are seen quite a lot on television? Crying song. That means yes. Yes? Uh, do you have your own show on television? Langendorf and Kaisi. I take it there are three. Huh? Do you have somebody with you on television? Right? I see. You are a couple, uh, uh, either a man and wife, or or a man and a woman who are uh, who play a dramatic um, half hour of some kind. You want me to take you out of that, or you want to get out by yourself? <laughs> Her language has got me all. <laughs> yes, would be the answer. Yes would be the answer. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a picture of yours now playing on Broadway? Move, move. No, wait a minute, we got to have a conference. Move, <laughs> move. No. In the term as we use playing in Broadway, yes. Um, have you? Uh, been in, uh, well, certainly the top 10 or 15 in television shows. And I einblock tongue by Sigurdsson Geist. And fluke and die. I forgot, fluke and die. This is what happens when, this is what happens when you have dinner lump forms that come to this program. That would be yes. That would be yes. Mm-hmm. Miss Carr, do you know who this is? 
Well, I think if it must be. Well, stop it there. Do you know who it is? Well, hold on to your answers for now, and we'll find out later. For now, though, let's take another spooky musical ride with Louis Jordan. When you've got no more assurance than a great big hunk of lead, if you don't respond to romance, Jack, you dead. When a chick is smiling at you, even though there's nothing said, if you stand there like a statue, Jack, you dead. You've been always kicking, but you stubbed your toes. When you ups and kicks the bucket, just like old man Mose. When you get no kicks from loving, and you blow your top instead, it's a fact that you ain't living. Jack, you did. Nobody, since you gone and lost your head, rigor mortis are set in, Daddy. Jack, you dead. What's the use of having muscles when your life hangs by a thread? If you ain't got no red car puzzles, Jack, you dead. You've been always kicking, but you stubbed your toes when you ups and kicks the bucket. Just like old man Mose. When you get no kicks from loving and the news begin to spread, all the cats will holler, murder. Jack, you dead. All the breath has leaked out of you. When your friends gather around the bed and look at you and say, mm, 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 don't it look natural? When that happens to you, daddy, Jack, you dead. Amazing. That was Lewis Jordan and his. Timpani Five with Jack, you're dead. On to some movies then, a trio of them today. But do we have three amigos or three Stooges on our hands? Let's kick it off with something pre-code. 1932's The Match King, starring King of Pre-code himself, Warren William, alongside a never more dazzling Lily Demeter, as well as Glenda Farrell, Claire Dodd and Harold Huber. William plays Paul Kroll, a Swedish immigrant who's been slowly disillusioned by the American dream. Taking the few hundred dollars he swindled during his time in Chicago, he heads back to Sweden and to the small town he left behind where wild tales about the fortune he's found in America have been buzzing around the grapevine. Only problem is that none of the tall tales are true. That doesn't matter, though, because Paul has a whole new angle. Paul, you know your signature on that note won't be worth the ink it takes to write it. You haven't any vast holdings in Chicago or anywhere else. You asked me when I saw you in Chicago a couple of years ago to say nothing about your affairs here at home. I haven't. But now I, I feel it's my duty to say something. Eric, old friend, what really have I done here today? I've saved the money of these old men. I've rescued their little factory and put it in a position to compete with modern match manufacturing. 
And most important of all, I've saved the jobs of most of the men in Holmtide. Why, this thing is fraudulent. What difference does it make what means I use to accomplish all this? What if I did have a hard time getting a start in America? I never found exactly what I wanted over there. But at last I have found the opening I've been looking for. Using his ill-gotten reputation as a man of wealth, Paul works his way into the executive board of the tiny local match factory there and swiftly arranges a series of loans in order to build the company and take on their competitors. What is the most valuable thing in the world? You think it's gold, don't you, Will? It is. Any day, any minute, the world decides to the contrary, gold will become a valueless metal. Gold is precious only because man wants it to be. But a match... Do you know that a cheap, simple little match is the most valuable thing in the world? It's the one indispensable commodity. The one thing every person on earth uses, regardless of race, color, or creed, climate, and circumstance. It's the one commodity the rich must have, that even the poorest can afford. Where the richest man on earth or the lowest pauper will give you a match. Yes, Paul's theory is that no matter who you are in the world, matches are the most prized commodity around and gambles everything on turning his company into a worldwide powerhouse. We've got to make the people themselves, voluntarily, quit using one match for more than one light. But Mr. Crow, that can't be done. People will do as they please. I'll tell you how it can be done. We've played on vanity, fear of burns, the love of cautious parents for their careless children, but... We have overlooked one important fact in humanity, and that is superstition. I want you to create a worldwide uh, propaganda in every language until mankind believes that it is bad luck for more than one person to light a cigarette from the same match. But Mr. Kroll, that would counteract our courtesy and chivalry campaign. All right, let's make it three cigarettes. It's bad luck to light a third cigarette on the same match. Tie up your new campaign with a war. Spread stories that it was a superstition in the trenches that when three men lit their cigarettes from the same match, one of the three never came back. Get writers to use it. Have playwrights build scenes around this theme. It may take a year and a fortune to put it over, but I want it done. It works, and before long, Paul has used the most dastardly of means to establish himself as not just a giant of business, but a man so rich and powerful that he has the power to topple entire governments. But Paul hasn't reckoned on one thing losing the splinter of heart he has left in his chest. The woman who enchants him is Marta, an actress played by Lily Demeter, and in his pursuit of her, Paul begins to lose his grip on the empire he's created. It won't be long before he's forced to choose between the happiness his heart desires or the fortune he's built, or perhaps he might lose both. Imagine Kroll's colossal nerve. Forty millions of forged dollars. He'll go to prison for life for this. I've always thought that Kroll is nothing more or less than a common thief. Very interesting film. This. I was under the impression when it began that it was an actual biopic. And while I do think elements of it are based upon real people, this is an entirely fictional story. And thank goodness this stuff had actually happened it would have been the scandal of all time it is loosely based on the real life figure of Ivar Kruger but obviously they've gone for full drama here I mean Paul Kroll actually resorts to murder at one point William is at his pre-Cody best as the man who begins in the gutter and works his way up to the palaces of the world and it's to his credit and to the credit of the writers that every story beat feels authentic his progression from street rat to emperor seems absolutely plausible at every turn inevitably 
inevitably, though, the journey to the top comes at a great cost. Not only does Paul trample over everyone in his quest for power, but also begins to emotionally and spiritually destroy himself to such an extent that when he does fall in love, it's something of a shock to see him acting like a human being for once. It's directed by William Keeley, a very solid pair of hands, also responsible for such films as Dr. Monica, Ladies They Talk About, G-Men, Bullets of Ballots, that kind of fast-paced Warner thriller that made their name. And there are real shades of Jack Warner himself in the character of Paul Kroll. As you know, Bullets and Blood is one of my secret history series and tells the tale of the Warner Brothers. And the standout villain was Jack Warner, head of production at Warner Brothers. If you know that story and then you watch The Match King, the similarities are remarkable. As a human drama, The Match King is very well realized. It keeps your eyes completely glued to the screen at all times. It's anchored as well by a blistering performance from Warren William, one of his best. And as the rags to riches to rags tale of a breathtaking scoundrel, it really does have it all. A definite recommend from me. That's 1932's The Match King. Hollywood seemed to have a brief obsession with twins in movies for a while in the 40s, and specifically where actors played two versions of themselves in the same film. Olivia de Havilland played a good twin and a bad twin in The Dark Mirror, where one of them is a murderer and the other is all sweetness and light. Ronald Coleman played the swashbuckling hero in The Prisoner of Zender, but also his own cousin, the king, whose place he has to take when the king is kidnapped. And so we come to 1946's A Stolen Life, in which Betty Davis takes on the task of playing against herself, this time as twin sisters Patricia and Kate, in what was sold to me as a psychological thriller, but which is nothing of the sort. This is a remake of a 1939 movie starring Elizabeth Bergner and Michael Redgrave, given the usual Hollywood sparkle, of course, and interestingly, the one and only film that Betty Davis herself ever produced. Starring alongside Betty Davis and Betty Davis is Glenn Ford, Walter Brennan, and Dane Clark. And here's a clip. Hello, sis. Pat, what are you doing here? Couldn't sleep. Thought I'd chew the fat for a while. We haven't for a long time. I've been busy. You got a match, Katie? Why don't you tell me the truth, Katie? That lighthouse keeper isn't old. Yes, he is. He has a beard down to his ankles. Having fun these days? Much different. Why don't you go to Hyannis? Your gang's all there. Not trying to get rid of me, are you? Don't be silly. Kate meets handsome sailor Bill Emerson played by Glenn Ford when he ferries her to the island where her sister lives. Gently, they get to know each other and start to fall in love. That is, until Kate's sister Patricia finds out about Bill and does her best to sweep him away for herself. Pat, you know I've never been very good at missing words. What does Bill mean to you? Well, I might as well admit it, Katie. I'm mad about him. He feels the same way. And this is it. I'm sorry. Oh, don't be sorry. It isn't anybody's fault. Why, Katie? This is so unlike you. Years pass and Kate still mourns the loss of Bill to her far more vampish sister, wondering if perhaps she's somewhat lesser because of her failure to hold him. She dabbles in a romance with angry young artist Carnock, played by Dane Clark, but then fate throws her a lucky horseshoe. 
While out with her sister in a sailboat, a storm kicks up and Patricia is drowned. Here, maybe, is the chance to live in her sister's place and find out what that world is really like. I had so many things to tell you. You see, I've left Bill. That isn't what I wanted to say at all. If I were to tell you that... Yeah, wait a minute. I believe I know what you want to tell me, Kate. How long have you known? As I say, this was kind of sold as a psychological thriller. It's far closer, I would say, to a melodrama. Also, Betty is billed in lots of places as playing a good sister and a bad sister, which is terribly misleading. Kate is a very sunny character and kind of a mouse. Patricia is vampish, yes, but she's never evil. She's just far more outgoing and confident, which Bill finds irresistible. I don't consider that that makes her an evil person, so ignore the sensationalist advertising. I was deeply impressed by this movie. For a start, Betty Davis is a powerhouse in the two roles. The differences between the two sisters are remarkably slight at times, and yet you never lose track of who's who. What really impressed me, though, was the psychology that this movie explores. In The Dark Mirror, Olivia de Havilland's good sister and bad sister are great, but a little bit stereotypical. There's no nuance. Here, we actually get to explore some meaty themes, such as how does a mouse suddenly take on the air of someone more confident in order to live their best life? And if they can, then why haven't they done so before now? Talk about your moral quandaries. Here you have Kate finally getting everything she's ever wanted, but discovering at the finish line that perhaps everything was not so perfect in Patricia's world. It's this cauldron of drama in the film's third act that elevates an already absorbing drama. Betty Davis made a few misfires around this time. I've often heard that this was one of them, but having now seen it, I completely disagree. A Stolen Life is tons of fun to watch, centers around a fantastic dual performance, and most importantly, leaves you with plenty to think about. Definitely check it out if you can. Lastly today, a William Powell detective movie from late on in his career, 1949's Take One False Step, or Rabid Dog Bites Man, the movie. I have to say, from the opening credits, I didn't know what to expect. It's basically a quick-cut montage complete with freeze frames, showing a lot of people taking a false step so as to illustrate the danger of doing so. You have a man on a tightrope, literally walking off the tightrope. Then you have a lady walking in front of a car. Puzzlingly, you then have a lady walking into a room with a man. Perhaps he's Jack the Ripper or something. Then you have a baby taking his first step and falling over on his ass. You might think I'm making this up. This is actually what happens over the credits of this film. The filmmakers here are not keen on subtlety. They do not trust you to know what a false step is. Someone dances with someone and steps on their toe. Someone walks up the aisle to get married. Someone gets in a car, which is crazy, apparently. Someone slips on some soap, and then to top it all off, someone steps out of a car and falls down a manhole. I swear I'm not making this up. Anyway, the film begins, and we watch as Professor Andrew Gentling, played by William Powell, with hair dyed so black that it absorbs all known light. We follow him as he takes a false step into a bar and sees there his old flame, Catherine Sykes, played by Shelley Winters. Yeah, you're looking well, Catherine. Ravishing as ever. Watch your language, Professor. I'm feeling very susceptible. Imagine running into you. You know, I was thinking about you just today. I was thinking about you too. That's why you ran into me. 
I uh, read you were staying at this hotel. Oh, nice strategy. <laughs> in No Time Flat, Andrew is out on the town with Catherine, who makes it clear that she's very much not over him. Andrew's over her all right, though, and drops her off at home after fending off her paws all night. Wouldn't you only go and know it, though? The next morning, Catherine's vanished, and all fingers are pointing towards Professor Andrew Gentling, who was the last person to be seen with her. It's up to Andrew to use his incredible powers of professorism to find out exactly what happened to Catherine before the net closes around him too tightly. Hello? It's Martha. I've been trying to reach you all afternoon. I have to see you. It's no use. I'm going to the police and get it over with. No, please. Please don't do anything until you see me. Pick me up on Cannon Drive and Clifton. Do you know where that is? Martha, I can't hide. I... Don't be an idiot. I'll be waiting for you. It's so strange because it begins as one kind of film and totally transforms into something else. It's your standard man on the run trying to solve the murder of which he's innocent tale. But then the writers seem to run completely out of ideas, so they randomly have our hero bitten by a dog who might be rabid. I'm Dr. Thatcher. What's the trouble? Uh, doctor, I've been bitten by a dog. I'm afraid he had rabies. I'm in. So then the film turns into something radically different. Did the dog bite give William Powell rabies? Does William Powell have rabies? Is William Powell walking around with rabies while trying to solve some murder or something? It's all about the rabies from the midpoint. I mean, talk about your blind sides. All local news. In Los Angeles, a weird twist was given to the Catherine Sykes case last night. The home of the pretty housewife who has been missing for two days now was broken into early yesterday evening. The intruder, according to police, was driven off by the Sykes police dog, who was found unconscious with blood on his jaws by Arnold Sykes, husband of the missing woman. The intruder escaped, but not completely. In a routine examination of the animal, the police department made a startling discovery. The dog was suffering from the most dreaded of all diseases, rabies, hydrophobia. If the bitten man is not treated immediately, he is doomed. All doctors in the Southern California area have been requested by Los Angeles police to report immediately any case of dog bites that should... Ah, shut up! Want to hear some music? And some of it's noir, and some of it's melodrama, and some of it is straight thriller, and some of it is romance. It's like the filmmakers were judging each subsequent scene in the script by blindfolding themselves and throwing darts at cue cards. Okay, I hit Rabid Dog Bites Professor. My dart landed in Shelley Winter's vamp trying to seduce musty professor type. I hit the line between noir and comedy. Let's do both. I mean, I can't say I hated it. Watching William Powell doing his detective shtick is always great, although this really does feel like a victory lap instead of prime rib. I love seeing Sheldon Leonard, James Gleason, Felix Bressart, and Marsha Hunt, who are all in this, doing their thing. I love to see them in any movie, and they're all as marvellous and as charismatic as ever. I think that the problem with Take One False Step is that it just reminds you of better films, of better outings that each and every player took in earlier films. With every passing moment, you're reminded of William Powell's glory days and how much better his films were back in the 30s and early 40s. It's not a terrible procedural, but there's certainly nothing remarkable enough to have warranted making this film. And what a waste of William Powell's talents to spend an entire film wishing you were watching a better William Powell film. I don't think you'll dislike it, but it will feature nowhere near your Powell top 10, and you will more than likely struggle to give it a permanent home in your memory.
Radio entertainment then. In fact, a double bill of radio entertainment this time. First up, we're going over to the Burns and Allen show. Yes, George Burns and Gracie Allen's sitcom. And in today's special episode, their house guest is none other than William Powell himself. Following that, we'll shoot straight on over to the Lux Radio Theatre for their stellar adaptation of A Stolen Life, starring the Queen herself, Miss Betty Davis, along with Glenn Ford in their original roles. All aboard then for a double bill of classic Golden Age radio entertainment. William Powell with Burns and Allen and Betty Davis and Glenn Ford for the Lux Radio Theatre. See you afterwards. This is Bill Goodwin speaking for Lever Brothers, makers of Swan, the new white floating soap that's pure as fine Castiles. Well, it's Tuesday night again, time for another pleasant visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen. Our guest, William Powell, star of the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer picture Heavenly Body, with Jimmy Cash, Felix Mills, and his orchestra. And now meet the people who live in the Burns house, George and Gracie. <laughs> it's afternoon in the Burns home, and George has just come home from the office to find his little wife, Gracie, so thrilled and excited she can hardly talk. Oh, George, I, I just can't believe it. It's like a dream come true. Well, what is it? What's the news? Well, I know it's happened to other women, but now it's happening to me, to us. Well, Gracie, what is it? Oh, it's, it's what every home needs, what every man and wife pray for. Gracie, you mean we're going to have a... Yes. <laughs> a cleaning woman. <laughs> Uh, cleaning woman. Yes. Starting today, I'll have her once a week to clean the house. Gee, I thought we were going to have a baby. Oh, George, a baby couldn't clean this big house. <laughs> well, let it go. Well, you don't seem very thrilled. Cleaning women are scarce. Well, how did you get her? Mrs. Bundy? Oh, I promised her that in addition to her wages, we'd give her bus fare once a month. Well, that's a cinch. Yeah, once a month she likes to visit her daughter in Chicago. <laughs> that's, uh, that's where we pay the bus fare. Yeah, round trip. Mm. Might be cheaper to move to Chicago. Oh, that's probably Mrs. Bundy now. Stand up straight, dear. I want you to make a good impression. Okay. Come in. Well, here I am. Oh, Mrs. Bundy, I'm so glad you could make it. Uh, where do I start cleaning? Well, um, uh, first, Mrs. Bundy, I understand it's customary to present letters of reference. Oh, don't bother. You folks look honest. <laughs> well, that's nice. Oh, um, this is my husband. Hello. Mine's bigger. Oh, yes. George, George is rather petite. But don't let his size fool you. He's as strong as an ox and much handsomer. Thanks, Deb. Oh, here's the dust of Mrs. Bundy. You can start right here. Okay. Um, you, um, you work for lots of movie stars, don't you? That's right. And believe me, I could tell you plenty about them. Well, that's what I was leading up to. Only I can't talk when I'm working. Oh, well, in that case, let me work and you talk. <laughs> that's what I was leading up to. Well, now, uh, hand me the duster. 
Wait a minute, Gracie. You're going to pay Mrs. Bundy 90 cents an hour just to gossip about movie stars? You could get that from Luella Parsons for a nickel. Well, if Luella Parsons works that cheap, she can't be a good cleaning woman. Well, it looks like there'll be no dinner cooked around here tonight. I better go out and eat. Oh, all right. Goodbye, dear. Banjo. Well, um, who do you want to hear about? The Humphrey Bogarts? The Walter Pigeons? Well, uh, start with the Humphrey Bogarts. Is he, is he as tough around the house as he is in pictures? No, indeed. I've been around there plenty, and he doesn't wear the pants in that house. <gasps> My goodness. Isn't that kind of drafty? <laughs> I mean, he ain't the boss. Oh, oh uh, I'll get it, Mrs. Burns. You just keep right on dusting. Yes? Oh, hello. I'm Bill Goodwin. I... Well, say, aren't you Mrs. Bundy who cleans house for all the movie stars? That's right. Well, Mrs. Bundy, this is an opportunity I've been waiting for. There's a certain soap I'd like to tell you about. I don't want to hear about any soap. Gee, I guess i got to get my foot in the door. Well? Well, Mrs. Bundy, Now, just skip it. The only kind of soap I use is Swan, that new white floating soap. Oh, well, but that's the Don't you that... say a word against it. You fresh salesman who knocks other fellows' products. Well, but Mrs. Bundy, I... like Swan I... because I can use it for everything. Washing the dishes, doing light laundry. And let me tell you something, young man. Swan is great, too, for bathing the baby and for the bath or shower. Yeah. Why, Swan is four soaps in one, so you just hush up. Well, but Mrs. Bundy, Would you I... stop flapping your trap? <laughs> it ain't gonna do no good to try to sell me some other soaps. What do you think helps keep my hands looking so beautiful? Swan soap. You should try it for your face. <laughs> I make my living with my hands, and I gotta protect them, so I wash the dishes with nothing but swan. Why, those swan suds are so mild and gentle, your hands don't get that rough red dish panty look. Well, but Mrs. Bundy, And don't I... try to tell me different, you curly-headed whippersnapper, you. Now get out of here. Well, I... Now what? Well, I just wanted to get my foot out of the door. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Bundy, who is it? Oh, some smart Alex trying to get me to stop using swan soap. Oh, I'll get it. Hello? Hello, Gracie, this is George. Oh, yes, dear. Look, I uh, just ran into William Powell here at the restaurant, and I'd like to bring him home for the evening. William Powell, the movie star? That's right. You mean the original Frank Sinatra? Uh, original Frank Sinatra? Well, wasn't Mr. Powell the first thin man? Uh, look, uh, Gracie, they're, they're, uh, they're redecorating Mr. Powell's house and the poor guy hasn't had any sleep now for three nights. Is it all right if he sleeps with us tonight? Well... Wouldn't he be more comfortable in the guest room, dear? Uh, get things ready. We'll be there at 9 o'clock, dear. Here's our popular young tenor, Jimmy Cash, with Felix Mills in the orchestra and a revival of the great ballad, I'll Get By. James? I'll get by as long as I have you. 
Well, it seems that William Powell's home is being redecorated, and as a result, Mr. Powell hasn't slept for three nights. So George has invited his exhausted friend to spend the night in his quiet little nest. Now, approaching the Burns home, we see two men. One tired-looking, hollow-eyed, a very shell of a man, and the other, William Powell. Well, here we are, Bill. This is our little honeymoon cottage. It isn't much, but it's comfortable. Well, in five minutes, I'll have you tucked in bed. Why, George, you make me feel like a bride. (laughs) Well, I'm just tired enough to let you carry me over the threshold. Well, come on, let's go in. Here we are, Gracie. Oh, come in. Oh, I'm so glad to see you, Mr. Powell. Thank you, Gracie. George, tell me about your not being able to sleep. Mm, you do look tired. Yes, I'm afraid I have dark shadows under my eyes. Yes. There's even one under your nose. <laughs> that's, uh, that's his mustache. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's cute. It reminds me of George's chest. <laughs> How revolting. Of course... There's more hair on your lip. Gracie, Gracie, stop being silly. Oh, I'm sorry I laughed at your mustache, Mr. Powell. Oh, that's all right. It tickles my wife, too. (laughs) Well, is the guest room ready, dear? Bill hasn't slept for three nights, and he's got to get to bed right away. Oh, well, now, uh, this is the guest room right here, Mr. Powell. Oh, say, this is a charming room. Oh, that bed certainly does look inviting. Oh, isn't it lovely? My mother gave us that bed for a wedding present. Oh, how nice. Yes, we slept in it for three years. Then mother went home and George and I slept in it. <laughs> Gracie, let's get out of here and let Bill get to bed. Well, good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Oh, I almost forgot, Mr. Powell. If you open that top dresser drawer, you'll find one of George's nightshades. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, thanks for telling me. I'll, uh, I'll be careful not to open it. <laughs> oh, you love it. I'll show it to you. There, isn't it, darling? You're very chic, but, uh, the neck's too small for me. <laughs> Uh, I can never get my head through that tiny hole. Oh. Well, I have to make it that small so it won't slip down over George's shoulders. (laughs) Come on, Gracie. Good night, Bill. Good night. Good night. Oh, there's just one more thing, Mr. Powell. I, uh, I hope you won't practice your tap dancing tonight and keep us awake. Oh, no, no, no. I'm William Powell. The one with the flying feet is Eleanor. You have us mixed up. Oh, how could I get you mixed up with Mrs. Roosevelt? Gracie. Oh, good night. Bill has got to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and start working on a picture. Oh, really? Yes, and he's worried about it. You see, the actress they've got opposite him can't handle the part. It's the part of a persecuted woman. Persecuted woman? Yeah, you know, her husband takes her baby away from her and all that. It's... Tough part to play. Oh, pooh. Any really great actor could play it. Betty Davis, Helen Hayes, Catherine Cornell, Greer Goss, and any one of us. Uh, us? Sure. Well, Gracie, go to bed. I'm going out and get a glass of milk. Oh, so that's why poor Mr. Powell hasn't been able to sleep these for three nights. 
He thinks no one can play a persecuted woman. Well, his troubles are over. Uh, Mr. Powell? Uh, Mr. Powell? Uh, yeah, what, what, what is it? Mr. Powell, I want my baby. <laughs> I, uh, I beg your pardon? My baby, I want my baby. Is it in this bed? I don't know where it is. George has hidden it from me. Maybe he wants it to get some sleep. <laughs> oh, how can you scoff when that monster's taken my baby, my little golden-haired baby, torn from his mother's arms in the prime of his babyhood. George did this? Yes. Oh, I know. To you, George is just a puny, feeble weakling with a little round tummy, isn't he? Frankly, yes. No. Oh. That's how the whole world sees him. But underneath that little round tummy lurks a beast. Incredible. Gracie, Gracie, I told you to let Mr. Powell alone. Now go to bed. Oh, all right, Dad. Good night. Mm. And uh, good night, Bill. Why, you cad. <laughs> uh huh. You little round tummy cad. <laughs> Bill, where's the baby? The, the what? The baby. Do you, do you feel all right, Bill? <laughs> you put on a fine act. Make the world think you're a great guy. Invite your friends here to sleep. But where's the baby? You mean you can't sleep without a baby in the room? <laughs> now, cut out that innocent stuff. Where are you hiding the child? Gee, Bill, you better lie back and relax. I'm afraid losing three nights sleep has kind of got you. Never mind. Just get that baby and stop torturing a poor, innocent mother. There, there, little mother. Now just get some sleep and you'll be all right in the morning. <laughs> then I'll bring you your baby. I'm talking about Gracie's baby. Gracie's? Gracie, come in here. What is it, dear? What did you tell William Powell about a baby? Oh, that. I was just showing him how great uh, a part I could play, or any great actress could play the persecuted woman in his picture. Then you have no baby? Oh, no. And how often I've envied you, Mr. Powell. Me? Oh, yes. Your son, Dick, is so talented. <laughs> Diane Felix Mills in his orchestra, and tonight the popular Gershwin's fascinating rhythm.
Oh, Mr. Paul, he just can't go to sleep. I've been in his room 20 times in the last hour, and every time I leave, he's wide awake. Gee, when he told me he hadn't slept for three nights, I, I didn't realize he had insomnia. The worst case I've ever seen. He's angry about it, too. I peeked in just now, and he was lying there growling to himself. Well, maybe he's asleep. Maybe that's snoring. Oh, George, I've been married to you long enough to know what snoring sounds like. He's growling. When you snore, you sound like you're eating a banana underwater. Well, thanks, dear. Oh, poor Mr. Powell. Insomnia is such a horrible thing. Well, as long as he can't sleep anyway, I might as well find out what he wants for breakfast. Uh, Mr. Powell? Mr. Powell. Uh, uh, yes, what? Uh, oh, what would you like for breakfast? Uh, breakfast? Yes. Oh, is it morning already? Oh, no, but I thought I'd ask you now. Do you like cereal? Uh, mad about it. Uh, good night. Uh, uh, toasted, shredded, puffed, or cracked? Uh, cracked. Oh, dear. And the only kind I have is puffed. Uh. Uh, Mrs. Burns. But I can serve it with a hammer and let you crack it yourself. <laughs> I can think of nothing more invigorating. Uh, good night. Oh, no, that's not all. Do you like coffee? Yeah, I adore it. Good night. Or uh, percolated, potted, drip, or ground? Uh, ground. Oh, you're different from George. He's the drip type. <laughs> yes, I've, uh, I've noticed that. Uh, good night. Oh, wait. Uh, do you like eggs? Yes. Yes, I like them fried, boiled, poached, scrambled, baked, and shirred. I believe that covers the field. Oh, you don't like omelets. <laughs> My error. Yes, I'm devoted to omelets. Good night. A cheese, tomato, onion, or Spanish? Spanish. Oh. Oh, I'm afraid I don't make that kind very well. I can't even rumba. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure that anything you prepare will be delicious. And uh, I hasten to add that you may place my napkin on the table, folded, creased, flounced, or flat. Uh, good night. Poor Mr. Powell. I bet you'd give anything to go to sleep, wouldn't you? Uh, that I would. Uh, I understand the county sheep is very good. Yes. I'm sorry we haven't got any. <laughs> good night, Mrs. Burns. Oh, Mr. Powell. What now? I forgot to say good night. Yes, yes, I've been lying here brooding about it. Well, good night. Uh, good night. Sleep tight. I'm beginning to think that's the only way I could sleep. Gracie, <laughs> uh, is, he, is he asleep yet? No. Oh, maybe he'll go to sleep if you talk to him. All right, I'll see what I can do. My, it's, uh, it's dark in here. A uh, peculiar habit of mine. I like to sleep in a dark room. I'm not disturbing you, am I? No, no. In fact, you're a great help. Really? Yes. I haven't slept in three nights, and your help making it four. Well, you'll soon be sleeping like a top, and there's nothing like a good night's sleep. There's certainly nothing like it here. <laughs> Did you set the alarm clock? Uh, yes, for six. Well, you don't have to worry about it not going off. It's a darn good clock. Fine. Has sort of a sweet, mellow chime. Oh, how nice. Uh, why don't you stay a little longer and we can listen to the chime together? <laughs> good night, Bill. Uh, good night, George. Is he asleep yet, George? No, poor guy. Wait. I know what'll put him to sleep. My father's insomnia medicine. 
Medicine? Well, sure. My father used to take it and sleep for four or five days at a time. Well, what kind of a medicine is it? I don't know. It's put out by those two famous doctors, Haig and Haig. Oh, yes, that's a, that's a great medicine. Oh, you answer the door, sweetheart. I'll go look for the medicine. George, listen, George, I got to talk to you quick. What's the matter, Bill? Well, remember last week when you asked me to watch the house and see if there was some man annoying Gracie? Yeah. And I told you it was Paul Henreed, and it turned out I was wrong? Yeah. Well, I know who the rat is now. Who? William Powell. Huh? George, we got him red-handed. Just now, as I walked by the house, I saw him in your guest room in pajamas. Bill. Well, don't stand there. Let's throw him out. Now, but, Bill. All right, if you're afraid of him, I'll do it myself. Bill, wait. Get out of that bed, you rat! What? What? I, I, I beg your pardon. Get out of that bed and take your medicine. If it's ether, I'll kiss you. Look, Bill, I'm telling you, you're making another mistake. Don't be afraid, George. I'll handle this. Now get this, Powell. George's wife loves him and only him. Oh, sure to you, he's just a wrinkled, repulsive little hollow-chested pit. Now weak. don't start that again. But. But to his wife, he's as handsome, as precious as a bar of swan. Now, Bill. Swan, the new oh. white floating soap that's four wonderful soaps in one. The soap for your hands and face, for bathing the baby, for washing your dishes and doing your light laundry. Four swell soaps in one. What a wartime buy. Hey, will you get this walking bubble bath out of here? <laughs> now, Bill, will Go you... Go home, Powell. Go home to your wife and baby. Ask them to forgive you. Take that little baby in your arms and jump in the bathtub. <laughs> what? Show that baby how much you love it. Give it a bath with swan. Babies are crazy about those mild, gentle swan suds. And lots of doctors recommend swan. It's pure as fine castiles. And let your wife use swan for her dishes. George, tell me something. Has this whole evening been part of a gigantic plot to wreck me physically and mentally? Is MGM tired of me? Have they taken this diabolical way to break my contract? Oh, no, 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 Well, Bill. why not? With what we got on Powell, they could break his contract in two like a bar of swan soap. Bill, will you do well, me Well, swan up, breaks Bill. in two, so you put half in the bathroom for your hands and face and half in the kitchen for dishes and light laundry. Bill, listen to me. Mr. Powell is not interested in Gracie. Huh? He only came here to get some rest, didn't you, Mr. Powell? Yes, fool that I am. <laughs> Gee, Mr. Powell, you, you must hate me. Thank you, I will. Now, if you gentlemen will board your trains I'll curl up here in Grand Central Station And go back to what I lovingly call sleep Good night Well, uh, good night, Mr. Powell Good night Oh, hello, Bill Hi, Gracie George, is Mr. Powell asleep yet? Yeah, he's wider awake than ever Oh, my goodness I've never seen such insomnia I'll see what I can do Oh, oh, it's very sad. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Powell? Mr. Powell? Huh? <clears throat> oh, what is it? It's me, Gracie. Oh, no. Oh, now, don't worry too much if you can't sleep. Thomas Edison only slept four hours a night. Really? When was he a guest here? <laughs> uh, oh, I just had an idea. I know what'll put you to sleep. You just relax while I go get him. Him? What is it? No, no, I'm not going to tell you. It'll be a surprise. You'll see in a minute. Oh, what a night. Oh, swan soap. All right, dear. Go ahead. Go to sleep, my baby. My baby. My baby. 
What's that? What's that horrible noise? Why, George is singing you a lullaby. Sing some more, dear. Go to sleep, my baby. Oh, shut up. Huh? This is the end. I'm getting out of here. Give me my clothes. Oh, but Mr. Powell, don't you want to sleep? Sleep? <laughs> There's no such thing as sleep. <laughs> sleep, sleep. Well, Judge, worst case of insomnia I've ever seen. Yeah, poor guy. Well, come on, Gracie, let's get to bed. You know, George, I don't think I'm going to be able to sleep now. You don't? No, sweetheart. Would you... Oh, sure. Go to sleep, my baby. Oh, Judge, you're It's summer, a late afternoon. At a wharf on Cape Cod, a young man in a small cabin cruiser is about to cast off for an island several miles offshore. I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon, but are you going to the island tonight? I missed the steamer. Well, that'll teach you not to be late. Besides, you don't take passengers. This is a government boat. Oh, I'd be very indebted to you. My cousin's expecting me. I promise I won't be any trouble. Can't you see I'm full up with supplies? Well, I'm not very large. Well, right, come on. Oh, thank you. Hey, just put your bags over there. Thank you. I've never been to the island before. How long a trip is it? Oh, about two hours. I love the sea. I come by it naturally, I guess. All my ancestors were whalers from Portland. Maine or Oregon? To a Yankee, there's only one Portland. Maine. Welcome to New England, Yankee. Oh, thank you. Sure been awful quiet. I've been making a sketch of you. Me? Where? Huh. Hey, that's good. You going to the island to paint? Yes. Yeah, the island's a regular hangout for artists. They're always wanting to paint the lighthouse. Eben won't let him near the place. Eben? Uh-huh. Eben Folger, he's the lighthouse keeper on Dragonhead. I'm, um, uh, what you might call his temporary assistant. Oh. Well, there's the island. Have you ashore in ten minutes. I hope your cousin's still there. Glad to see you. Oh, you certainly gave me a scare, Kate. Steamer came in and not a sign of you. Oh, I'm sorry, Freddie. I missed it by one minute. Well, car's down here. Oh, incidentally, who was that who brought you across? His name's Bill. Oh? Pat arrived yet? Yes. Freddie, where's Dragonhead? Dragonhead? Well, it's a lighthouse about a mile offshore. Why do you ask that? The Dragonhead launch brought me over. Do you know the keeper? His name's Folger. Oh, dear, I'm sure I don't. Now, tell me what you'd like to do tomorrow, Kate. You can paint... Does he come to the mainland every day? He? Who are you talking about? The lighthouse keeper. Well, of course he does. Oh, I don't know. How do I know what he does? Now, come on, Katie. Come on. Hello? Hello, Mr. Folger. Oh, come it, ain't you got no ears? No visitors, I said. This here's government property. No visitors. If you'd let me explain, Mr. Folger. You get back in your sailboat and get out of here. But there's something in this package that may interest you. Huh? 
Now, wait a minute. You're the one that stopped me in town yesterday, ain't you? Yes, in Granby's antique shop. Yeah, you're the one who wanted to paint my picture. And I told you if you was to pay me $50,000, I wouldn't be found dead sitting for no Tom Fool portrait. I know you did. And when you left, I bought this. It's a, a ship model, Mr. Folger. Miss Granby told me you're an expert on ship models. Tell her for me to mind her own business. Oh, it's a great imposition, I know. But you see, I know so little about ship models, and I... I don't like the idea that I may have been rooked. Won't you look at it, Mr. Folger? Yeah, maybe. Hey, Evan, do you want me to... Well, hello. Why, hello. Say, you the one he brung over in the launch from the mainland? Yes. Now, about that model... Oh, you're pretty smart for a woman. You knowed I wanted this ship model, didn't you? I want to strike a bargain with you. Watch out, Evan. She's a Yankee. You found out I tried to buy this here model. That old lady Granby. $150, she said. My country, that's highway robbery. You can have it for nothing if you'll pose for me. No. Only an hour a day for two weeks. No. You set the time yourself. He who hesitates is lost, Evan. You're getting too big for your britches, son. All right. You be here each day at four, but no Sundays. Sundays, too. Oh, Sundays then, doggone it. <laughs> He's a tough customer. You're pretty slippery yourself. I know. Well, I... I guess I'd better go. You must be busy. Yes, I have a little work to do here. Well, I... I'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye, Bill. Goodbye, Kate. What's happened to Evan? He's gone into the lighthouse. And you let him? He says he can't pose if there's a fog and he can't control the axe of God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't any complaints. We've had such wonderful weather all week. Well, let me see the painting. Oh, my, that looks fine, Katie. Oh, thank you. Hey, that fog's rolling in fast. You're not going to try to sail back in it, are you? Well, oh, I... you better stay here for a while. Oh, I'd like that, but... Well, Mr. Folger's never been very hospitable. Oh, that's nonsense. He's got a heart as big as a house. Come on. Oh. I've never been at the top of a lighthouse before. Does the fog frighten you? A little. There's something so terribly lonely about it. I don't mind being alone, but I... I don't like to feel lonely. There's a difference, isn't there? You know, I don't mind being alone either. Fact is, I deliberately took this job to get away from people. I can understand that. But you know, you wouldn't be afraid of that fog if you went right out into it. Come on, let's go down. I'll show you what I mean. I'll take you to a favorite cove of mine. It's like the end of the world. It could end like this. I don't think I'd be frightened, even if it were. Or lonely either. No. You know, I, I knew you'd get over it out here. I wonder what people would do if the world should end like this. Then they'd have time to say all the things they'd always wanted to say. Then they'd have the courage to say them. For instance? Honest things. Such as? Such as telling you that I didn't particularly want to paint Eben's portrait. Then why have you gone to all this trouble? Because I wanted to see you again. Lonely people want friends. But they have to search very hard for them. It's difficult for them to... to find... Other lonely people. Yes. The fog's lifting. It wasn't the end of the world after all. You're the first person I ever brought here, and you know, the one time that I, I wish I could paint is when I'm here. Katie, do you suppose that you could catch all this? Oh, no. 
No, I'm not nearly a good enough painter. Oh, Bill, you were made for all this. Was I? You know, I went to a class reunion this spring. Some of the fellas, they, well, they, they were ribbing me about being stuck way off down here. One of them even offered me a job. I guess he felt kind of sorry for me. Oh, if he only knew how I felt for him. You found your place in the world. I envy you. You know, you're the first person that's understood that. Don't ever give it up. I don't ever want to. I'm through at Dragonhead for a while, Katie. You're going away? Yes, I have to go up to Boston tomorrow to see the superintendent. Oh. Well, it's been lots of fun these past few days. I I know I've had a wonderful time. I'll miss you, Bill. Oh, Katie. Oh, Bill. Come on, I'll take you over to the island in the speedboat. Thanks for bringing me across, Bill. I I can go the rest of the way myself. No, but I'd like to walk you home. Oh, no, no, it's late, and I have a lot of things What's to do. What's the matter? What's the matter? Are you ashamed of me? Oh, no. Huh? <laughs> no, it isn't that at all. You wouldn't be holding out on me now. You haven't got a husband or anything like that, huh? <laughs> oh, of course huh? not. What an idea. Hmm? Well, good night, Bill. I'll sail your boat back in the morning. Thanks. We could have lunch, maybe, huh? If you'd like. I'll pick you up at the wharf at 12 o'clock. And, oh, Katie... When I go away, it, it won't be for long. I'm glad, Bill. Good night. Good night, Katie. Hello, Sid. Pat. I thought I'd wait up for you, Katie. We haven't had a talk for a long time. I've been busy, Pat. Tell me the truth, Katie. That lighthouse keeper isn't old, is he? Yes, he is. He has a beard down to his ankles. Having fun these days, Pat? Bored stiff, frankly. Why don't you go to Hyannis? Your gang's all there. Not trying to get rid of me, are you, Katie? Don't be silly. You know, darling, you're not a very good liar. Now, who is he? Who's what? Pat, you have a one-track mind. All right, don't tell me. What'd you do tonight? I know something's happened to you. You were singing like mad in the shower this morning. And for an elderly lighthouse keeper with a beard down to his ankles, you spend an awfully long time in front of the mirror. I saw the hunky-dory offshore. Does that mean Tom Fraser's in town? Oh, Tom's getting to be a bit of a nuisance. He's a good catch, Pat. Want him? Oh, no. I know my limitations, Pat. I'm dead on going to bed. He must be wonderful. Bet you ten dollars I get it out of you. Ten dollars you don't. Such a divine night. No kind of night to be stuck in a house all by yourself. You should have gone out. It's been warm enough to go without a coat. Painting in the dark, dear. <laughs> oh, I wish now I'd double that bet. <laughs> Darling, just so you'll feel better. I will be seeing Tom for the next few days. Lunch on the yacht tomorrow, and heaven knows what from then on. Good night. Night, Pat. Hey, Katie, where are you going? Hey, Katie. Well, good morning. Hey, what's the matter? Didn't you see me? Huh? I couldn't have looked very closely, could I? <laughs> For a second there, I thought you'd forgotten all about our luncheon date. Day? Oh, Oh, no. No, I didn't forget. You were walking right past me. Oh, how could you think I'd forget? I'll be right back. 
I, um, I want to speak to that sailor at the end of the wharf. Oh, sure. Sure, go ahead. Morning, Phil. Morning, Miss Pat. Uh, Phil, will you please tell Mr. Fraser I can't possibly come out for lunch today? Yes, Miss Pat, I'll tell him. Thank you. Tell him I'm dreadfully sorry. You really dolled yourself up today. I always doll myself up when I have a luncheon engagement. I have a wonderful idea. Let's go to the cottage for lunch. Oh, now, wait a minute. You know how you've been about keeping me away from there. It's a woman's privilege to change her mind. Well, well that's just fine. Good. More coffee? No, no, thanks, Katie. I'm just right. It was a divine night last night, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, it was. Unusual to have it warm enough to go without a coat. That's right. Katie, you got me going around in circles. Yeah, I don't know if I can quite explain it. But look, you're a swell person. I always knew that. But, well, it, it, it just seems that there was something lacking. Now, maybe I can explain it this way. It's like you were a cake. A cake? Uh-huh. Yeah. A cake without any frosting. And I guess, well, I guess most guys are kind of like the frosting. You know what I mean? And today, you think I'm well frosted. I'll say. (laughs) I was never more fooled in my life. Katie. Katie, I guess you know that I think you're something special. I'm afraid I think you're something special, too. Well, what I... I really want to say is... Well, what was it you wanted to... Oh. Hello, Katie. You're not seeing things, Bill. It's true. Well, I'll... Hello, Bill. I see you did keep our date for lunch. I... I I thought I did. (laughs) Look at him, Katie. Bill, if you could only see your face. That's very clever. (laughs) Which one of you think these things up? I'm always the one. Katie, I swear I was going to confess, but you came home just a second too soon. It's lucky for you she did. You were just about to be kissed by a perfect stranger. As you can see, it's very easy to confuse us. Yes. Uh, Katie, your sister here is a very dangerous woman. Well, I better be on my way. I have to catch the four o'clock boat. Will you walk to the gate with me, Katie? Going away? Yes, I'm going to Boston overnight on business. Oh, uh, uh, thanks for the lunch. Um, Patricia. Uh, Patricia. Bill, Pat, Pat's apt to do crazy things. Oh, that's all right, Katie. Oh, uh, the Lippincotts are giving an old-fashioned barn dance tomorrow night, and I'll be back in time. Would you like to go with me? I'd love to. All right, I'll pick you up at 8 o'clock. I'll be ready. So long, Katie. So long, Bill. Have a good trip. I'd like to buy a paper bill, but I don't seem to have any change. Well, hello. Hello. Which one is it? You know. Uh, Yes. I know. How'd you get here, Pat? Flew over. Lots of people have to go to Boston, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they do. I haven't done a square dance bill since I was a kid. Hope you don't mind if I step all over your feet. No, we'll step on each other's feet, Katie. If you are Katie. I swear by my honor, it's Kate. I just wanted to make sure. (laughs) Well, here we go. Bill, there's Pat. So it is. I wonder how she knew about this. Uh, um, maybe the Lippincotts invited her. But she doesn't know the Lippincotts. Well, maybe I mentioned it to her in Boston. Boston? Yes, I... I didn't, didn't you know that Pat went to Boston yesterday? No, I didn't. Well, well, good evening, Kate, dear. Hello, Freddie. Freddie, this is Bill Emerson, my cousin, Mr. Lindley. Well, how do you do, Mr. Emerson? Pat come with you, Freddie? Yes, yes, she did. 
she asked me to bring her. This uh, sudden passion for the bucolic life. Hardly her type of thing, is it? Well, Bill, aren't you going to ask me to dance? Well, sure, Pat, sure. I'll be right back, Katie. Well, that was quick work. Katie, let's you and I have a nice cool drink of Applejack, shall we? No, thanks, Freddy. Katie, tell me something. Just where does Pat fit into this jigsaw puzzle? It's a long story, Freddy, and I don't feel like telling it. Excuse me, I think I'll go out and have a cigarette. Katie? Freddy, don't bother about me. Hey, would you like to take a drive, Katie, huh? It's a fine night. Can I get you some coffee, then? You can drink it out here. Oh, for heaven's sake, say something. Katie, if that Bill Emerson means so much, do you fight for him? I can't. Why must you always let that sister of yours get ahead of you? Freddy, take me home. Why, Katie, I thought you'd be asleep. We missed you. Bill looked everywhere for you. Pat, you know I've never been very good at mincing words. What does Bill mean to you? I might as well admit it, Katie. I'm mad about him. And he feels the same way. I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. It isn't anybody's fault. Bill's so fond of you, Katie. Over and over he said what a swell person you are and what fun you'd had together. Oh, skip it. Pat, do you know Bill? Do you understand the kind of things he likes? The kind of life he likes? You've never known anybody like him before. When Bill's kind fall in love, they mean it. I know the kind of person Bill is, Katie, and I am mad about him. You must believe me. I believe you. And I wish you all the happiness in the world. You said yourself a minute ago that it wasn't anyone's fault. Go to bed, Pat. Go on before I make a fool of myself. Please. It was just one of those things, Kate's twin sister, Pat, and Bill Emerson. They're meeting, they're falling in love, and now, in the sister's spacious home in New York, their marriage. Cousin Freddie has just observed that Kate has slipped away from the wedding guests and gone upstairs to her studio. I thought you were probably in here. I wanted to get away for a few minutes, Freddie. You should go back to the guests. Kate, you've got to forget. Forget Pat, Bill, everything. There's nothing you can do about it. I know. I know there's nothing I can do about it. Have you made any plans? I'm going to work to paint. Now you're talking. That's my girl. Hello, hello. Long distance. I was hello, talking. Hello, Kate. Are you still there? Yes, we were cut off, Freddie. But you were saying something about an exhibition. Yes, the Gruen Gallery on Madison Avenue. My oils and watercolors. Are you proud of me? Kate, that's just wonderful. When? Two weeks from tomorrow. Good evening. There's one nice feature about art exhibits. What? The buffet table. When the paintings bore you, try the hors d'oeuvres. I intend to fill up before I'm thrown out. Who's going to throw you out? Don't be funny. Look at me, I'm a bum. By any chance, are you also an artist? 
Enough of one to have an opinion of this exhibition. Oh, then you're a critic as well. You don't have to be a critic to recognize an amateur. Well, most of the people here don't seem to share your opinion. These people? What do you expect them to say? Well, I think I may as well tell you. I painted this collection. I was wondering when you'd confess. How'd you get in? I walked in. I was hungry. What do you do? I paint. But I never had an exhibition, if that's what you're driving at. If you had the opportunity, what would you do? You're making me an offer? I think I'd like to see some of your work, find out whether you're a phony or not. Well, let's get out of here. I'll show you. Now? Now or never. I'll get my coat and meet you outside. Now, Miss Bosworth, don't you like my room? Don't you like my paintings? Your kind never does. If you'd stop being class conscious for a minute, I'd like to say something. Go ahead. I owe you an apology. You most certainly are not a phony. What shall I do now, bow from the waist? What's your name? Karnak. Now that you've done me the great honor of praising my canvases, I suppose I'll have to start praising yours. Tell me what's wrong with my painting. Everything. Chiefly because you're what you are, stiff, ingrown, afraid. I bet you're not even a woman. I know your kind, a checkbook in one hand and a paintbrush in the other, while someone like me can't even afford a decent pad of drawing paper or a tube of paint. What did you mean, I'm not even a woman? Yeah, that always gets them. You can criticize a woman's work, but when you suggest she's not a ball of fire, oh boy. What are you talking about? Come here, I'll show you. I think I'd better be going. Okay, go. But you're not a hopeless case, you know. How encouraging. Good night, Mr. Connor. All right, Connor. What happened this time? Why did Deirdre quit? She's the best model we've Because had. I happen to speak my mind about you and about the way you paint. Connor, I think it's time we settled a few things. You're most welcome to use this studio. You know that. But not if you continually upset everything and everybody in my home. First the servants, now Deirdre. Okay, go on with your smug little life if you want to, but you can count me out. Oh, stop being such a pig-headed boar. I'm perfectly willing to allow you to humiliate me as regards my work. I want it that way, but not as a person. Nor will I allow you to humiliate anybody else as long as you're in this house. Oh, go soak your head. Come on, let's get to work. Go and get your things. Hello, yes? Oh, Bill. Well, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Pat with you? Oh, I see. Why, yes, of course I can. Oh, don't be silly. You're not interfering with anything. No, I can be there in no time, Bill. Yes, I will. Goodbye, Bill. You can be where in no time? McCall's department store. I thought we were going to work. Tomorrow, Connor. Tomorrow. Bill, it seems forever since I've seen you. It has been a long time, hasn't it? How's Pat? Oh, she's fine. Why'd you want to meet me here? Well, I uh, had so little time, and I want to get a birthday present for Pat. I thought you might be able to help me. Oh, I see. Well... What about lingerie or a, or a negligee? Oh, sure, that's fine. They're over this way, Bill. What are you doing in New York? Uh, making arrangements to take a trip to Chile. Oh, for a Yankee, that's a far cry in New England to Chile. That's right. A new job? Uh-huh. Pat going with you? Yes, uh, yes, she is. You remember my telling you about uh, a job my college friend offered me? Yes. 
Yes, I remember very well. Well, I finally took it. It's even more money than I thought. I can't think of you away from the island somehow. Well, I had to do something to make more dough. I can't let Pat go on spending her own money. Oh. Here's a negligee, Bill. It looks like Pat. May I help you, madam? Hold it up to you, will you, Katie? Oh, it's a wonderful style for you, madam. Well, am I a prize dope? What's the matter? Well, if it's Pat's birthday tomorrow, it's yours, too. Of course. Well, I'd like to get you something, Katie. Uh, oh, that's sweet of you, Bill. No, thank oh, you. Oh, but there must be something here you'd no, like. No, no. Thank you very much. Are you taking the negligee, sir? Uh, yes. Uh, oh, wrap it as a gift, eh? Yes, sir. You know, I'm surprising Pat. She doesn't expect me until Thursday, but I, I want to be there for her birthday. Oh, Bill, how stupid of me. I completely forgot I have an engagement. I must run oh, away. Wouldn't you have time for a drink before I catch the train? Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I really haven't. Well, uh, well... It's been wonderful seeing you again, Katie. Wonderful to see you. And thanks a lot for helping me out. Oh, it was fun. Goodbye, Bill. Give my love to Pat. Marla, haven't you gone home yet? Where have you been? Kind of late. Oh, I went to a newsreel and I walked around the lake in the park. Who's this guy, Bill? Where is he? Gone. You look awful. Can I fix your drink? No, thanks, Connor. You know... I've been doing a lot of thinking. All this art stuff's been a substitute for something, hasn't it? You'll be glad to know, Carnock, I've come to a decision. Hmm? I'm a third-rate artist. I always will be. So you won't have to bother with me anymore. What are you going to do? I don't know. I haven't decided. Always running away. No wonder you lost him. We won't discuss it, Connor. You'll never land a guy all closed up inside like this. But I wasn't always like this. People change. Remember what I said when I first met you? I most certainly do. You kind of went for me then, only you got cold feet. Connor, your conceit really amazes me at times. Man needs woman. Woman needs man. That's basic. Everything else starts from that. Art, music, the whole works. Only women like you want to make something important out of it. You want a guy to stifle himself for you, the grand passion, all of that baloney. Yes, we do. Now, don't go female on me. Get wise to yourself. Oh, leave me alone. Sure you're not running away from me now? Really? That's better. What's the matter? Would you like being kissed? I'm sorry, Connick. I guess it is the grand passion or nothing. Connick, I think I'll go to the island in the morning and try and figure things out. Hello? This is Western Union. We have a telegram for Frederick Lindley. I'm sorry, but Mr. Lindley isn't here. May I take the message, please? It's from New York City. Arriving this evening, don't bother to meet me. Love, it's signed Kate. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. What are you doing on the island? I thought you and Bill were on your way to Chile. I wasn't able to go. He went alone. Where's Freddy? He got my wire, didn't he? Freddy had to go to Providence for a few days. Oh, I didn't know. You look tired, Katie. Anything wrong? Nothing in particular. Pat, why couldn't you go to Chile? Oh, I had a perfectly dreadful cold, something like the flu. What a shame. Bill was so excited about your going. Bill's so naive about a lot of things. But that's Bill. Naivete is a bit trying to live with all the time. Katie, you haven't said a word about my dungarees. I'm getting to be a big outdoors girl now, learning to sail, 
All that sort of nonsense. That I want to see. I'll prove it to you tomorrow. We can sail out towards Dragonhead, your old stamping ground. Take off your hat, Katie, and stay a while. I'm coming about, Katie. Well, what do you think of your new skipper? She's all right. Pat, whatever possessed you to come down here? Oh, I wanted to see the gang again. Pat, it looks as if we were going into some heavy weather. That's wonderful. Hey, look out, Katie. I'm going to jive. Pat, it looks really nasty. We better turn back. Not on your life. I've always wanted to sail in a storm. Katie, you were right. We should have gone back. It's too late now. All we can do is hope to get in Lee of the lighthouse. Watch it, Pat. Though I should have insisted we go back. You manage the rudder, Pat. I'll handle the sail. Hang on, Pat. Katie! We're heading straight for the rain! I'm no pulling back. Lee wouldn't hang on. No, Pat, no. Don't stand up. Get down. Get down to the bottom of the boat. Hello. Hello, police headquarters. This is Evan Fold, your Dragonhead Lighthouse. You better get over here as soon as you can. There's been a drowning. A girl named Kate Bosworth. I pulled her sister out. The other is a goner. Yeah, and bring a doctor with you. I think the doctor's still inside with Mrs. Emerson. She'll be coming out of that sedative soon. I'll need all the facts for the police record, so suppose you... I told tell... you all the facts. I looked out, and there was the boat heading for the rocks. Sail was all torn to shreds. Could you see which one of them was handling the boat? How could I tell in a sea like that? I couldn't tell them apart anyways. When you got out to them, were you able to see the body of the other one, or was it under the boat? I never did see the body. Coast Guard ain't found it yet either. They never will. Mrs. Emerson. Mrs. Emerson. It's all right, Mrs. Emerson. I'm Dr. Knowles from the village. Mrs. Emerson. Mrs. Emerson. Mrs. Emerson. Mrs. Emerson. Why does he call me Mrs. Emerson? Bill. 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 She's opened her eyes. She's coming around. Oh. There. There, Mrs. Emerson. Everything's all right. We just want you to keep very warm and quiet. I tried to pull her back. I tried. We know, Mrs. Emerson. Evan saw you. He knows you did everything you could. No. I'm the police chief, Mrs. Emerson. Now, your sister came up to visit you yesterday, didn't she? I... I don't... She's confused. Don't you bother her with that stuff now. Mrs. Emerson, ever since it happened, you've been lying here crying for Bill over and over again. You keep saying... I tried to save her. Well, Bill ain't going to blame you, Mrs. Emerson. If the good Lord had wanted to take you instead of her, why, he'd have done it. So you get well and strong now, Mrs. Emerson, and be a good wife to Bill. She'd have wanted it that way. Evan, Mr. Lindley's come. Yeah. It's your cousin, Mrs. Emerson. He's come to see you. Thank you. I won't talk to you very long, dear. I don't want to tire you. Can you understand me, Pat? Bill is coming home. He just answered my wire. He arrives in New York by plane Friday. By plane on Friday. Oh, Bill. Bill. 
Three days ago, Patricia Emerson was drowned off Dragonhead Lighthouse, and her body never recovered. But as far as the world is concerned, the girl lost in the storm was Kate. Motivated by her love for Bill, overcome by the temptation to be his wife, Kate has assumed her dead sister's identity. At her home in New York, she and Freddie have just returned from the airport. With them is Bill Emerson. You really shouldn't have bothered going to the airport, Pat. Oh, of course I'd meet you, Bill. Don't be silly. You know, you've hardly said a word. Well, there's not much to say. I'm terribly sorry about Kate. I hope you don't mind if we stay here a few days so I could, you know, straighten out some of her things. Oh, I prefer to stay. I've got some work to do here in New York. I think we could all do with a drink. Freddy? Uh, no, not for me, Pat. I have an appointment. Oh, but you simply can't leave us. I'll drop around tomorrow. You're being frightfully unsocial, Freddy. Goodbye, Bill. I... Call me if there's anything I can do. Thanks a lot for your help, Freddy. This really hit him, didn't it? I know just how it feels. It's very strange for me without Kate. Would you like a scotch? You know I drink bourbon, Pat. Oh, yes, of course. Kate is gone, but, you know, somehow I, I just can't believe it. I didn't know she meant so much to you. We were very good friends. That doesn't mean that I was in love with her. She knew that. How do you know? Oh, well, she... She told me just before the wedding. Bill, I'm so glad you're back. There's nothing any different between us, Pat. I, I came back only because of Kate's death. As soon as you... Why, the astonishment. Now, don't try to pretend that you've forgotten. Oh, no. No, of course I, I haven't forgotten. I, I only thought that perhaps... I know you've been through a lot. That's why I didn't go directly to a hotel. It's unfortunate that the accident happened at this time, but I think that just as soon as you get Kate's affairs wound up, you'd better go to Reno and get it over. Reno? Pat, it was your idea as much as mine. Oh, yes, of course. It's just... Bill? Bill, would you mind very much if I went to Boston tonight? I, I could come back later and straighten out Kate's things. If you'd prefer. And, and Bill? Yes? Could we let this divorce business ride for a while? I, I can't seem to think about it right now. What's there left to think about? I want another chance. Do you think you deserve one? Oh, maybe not, but I want it. Well, that's the first honest thing you've said in months. Let me try. All right, Pat. You'll probably change your mind when you get to Boston, but in the meantime, we'll let it go at that. Thank you, Bill. How long will you stay in New York? Oh, I don't know. Two, three days. Uh... Be sure and wire me when you're coming. I, I'd like to have everything ready for you. Yes. Uh, yes, I'll wire you. What? Your ticket, miss. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Tickets, please. Tickets. 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 Boston. I'm going to Boston. To Pat's home. How will I know? Little things, what rooms there are. What Pat used to do. And the servants. I don't even know their names. I must be out of my mind. And for what? Bill's going to leave me. What did Pat do to me? What did she do? Hello? Hello? Is that you, Mrs. Emerson? Yes. Who is this, please? Why, Lucy, ma'am. Lucy? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Lucy. I didn't recognize your voice. I, I'm in Boston, Lucy. I just got in and I'm at the station. Yes, ma'am. Are you coming straight home? Yes, I'll take a cab. I, I thought I'd call you first. Mr. Talbot phone. Oh, well, thank, thank you, Lucy. I'll be home in a few minutes. I certainly didn't expect you back so soon, Mrs. Emerson. Uh, Mr. Emerson will be home by the end of the week. Oh, for heaven's sake. I thought he'd be in Chile for three months. 
Lucy, I think I'll go right to my room. I, I have a headache. Oh. You'd better take my bag up. What are you waiting for, Lucy? I thought you said you were going up. Well, I, I, I am. I, I just want to see what this mail is. Yes, ma'am. I wouldn't bother about unpacking tonight, Lucy. Just put the bag on the bed. Well, I guess the mail can wait. Mr. and Mrs. Devereaux called. Oh? They're leaving tomorrow. Well, I, I'll call them later. <laughs> You're looking things over, aren't you, Mrs. Emerson? I'm sure glad I kept everything dusted. And the house looks very nice, Lucy. Those roses on your dressing table. I thought you might like them there. Mr. Talbot sent them. Thank you, Lucy. He's been calling every day. I didn't think you'd mind if I told him you were coming home. That'll be all, Lucy. Don't you want me to call him? What? Mr. Talbot. He said he'd be there all evening. Uh, well, I'll attend to it later. But he's moved. He said to tell you he finally found an apartment. The Empire House. Apartment 326. Thank you. What about Alma? I better let Alma know you're home. Well, couldn't that wait, too? Well, it can if you want, Mrs. Emerson. But if you knew my cooking as well as I do, you'd tell Alma to be here first thing tomorrow morning. Oh, of course, tell her to be here. Yes, ma'am. Good night, Mrs. Emerson. Good night, Lucy. Oh, Bill. Bill. Who is this Talbot? Is that what Pat Fifteen? Who's the telegram from, ma'am? Mr. Talbot? I just figured since you won't talk to him on the phone, maybe why it? Lucy, Mr. Emerson will be home this afternoon. Here's your coffee, Bill. Oh, uh, help yourself to cream and sugar. Thank you. And here, your tobacco. Isn't Alma the world's best cook? We're lucky to have her. Look, Pat, I, I know all this is as difficult for you as it is for me. Oh, but it isn't, Bill. I love being here with you. You do believe that, don't you? I want to. You know that. What about Talbot? Have you seen him? No. Surely you must realize that that's the most important thing to get straight between us. I don't want to see him. Don't you think you owe it to him to tell him that it's all over? Oh, perhaps it isn't over. Oh, yes, it is, Bill. I swear it. He's telephoned and sent me flowers, but I haven't acknowledged them. I... Well, I thought that was the very best way to handle it. Pat, until you get this Talbot thing straightened out once and for all, there isn't anything more we can say to each other. Oh, Bill. Empire House. Apartment 326. Pat. Hello, Jim. Well, come in, darling. Come in. Martini? No, thank you. I don't believe I feel like one. Jim, I know I should have called you. Yes, Lucy told me Bill was back. I must say I was surprised, considering everything. He came back today. And just where does that put me? I have something to tell you, Jim. I find out I'm still in love with Bill. I'm sorry. That's perfect. You mess up my life when you say you're sorry. I happen to have arranged to divorce my wife for your sake. I suppose it never occurred to you that someone could say a thing and mean it. There's something behind all this, Pat. What is it? No, no, there isn't. You must believe that. I'm in love with Bill. I always will be. But you can't mean this after all we've meant to each other. So it was just an interlude with you. Yes, that's what it was. You dirty little double-crosser. You're doing to me what you did with all the others, aren't you? The others? 
You didn't think I knew about them, but things get around, Pat. You're not a very discreet person. Oh, I wish... Get out. Get out! Why the suitcase? I'm leaving, Bill. May I ask why? You were right. It wouldn't have worked out. I should have known it wouldn't. You've seen Talbot. And you're still in love with him, is that it? Oh, no, no, it isn't. Well, if you're not still in love with him, then why are you leaving? Bill, you can't want me to stay, can you? Not after... You said the only thing to be straightened out between us was the Talbot business. But what about the others? Much worse. Surely you knew about them. If you didn't, you were a fool. Don't you know you've been the laughing stock of this whole town? I don't understand. I don't understand. Right, my dear, as soon as I got you... Daddy, I hope I won't be a nuisance. Don't talk like that, ever. Now, sit down. While you were unpacking, I made some tea. You look as if you needed it. Freddie, I don't know what to say. I had... I had so many things to tell you. You see, I've left Bill. Oh, that isn't what I wanted to say at all. Freddie, if I were to tell you... Wait a minute. I think I know what you want to tell me, Kate. How long have you known? Well, I suspected just after the accident... But I tried to put such thoughts out of my mind. And then when you called and said you were coming here to the island, of course I knew. It's absolutely unbelievable that you would do such a thing. But it seemed my only chance for happiness. But you were never a liar, Kate. How could you think you could live a lie? I didn't think. I just let it happen. Oh, it was so simple at first. It wasn't going to hurt anybody. But after I found out how Pat had treated Bill, I... Well, I couldn't go through with it. She'd hurt him so terribly that he'll never forget. And no matter what I try to do, it will always be there. What are you going to do? I don't know. I want to do what will hurt Bill the least. To a man like Bill, the truth is the only way. Freddie, would you forgive me if I went out for a while? Certainly. You see, Freddie, Bill never loved me. find you here, Katie. Bill, then you know. Yes, I know. I can't even ask you to forgive me. I don't want you to ask me anything. I don't want you to tell me anything. Oh, Bill. I'm the one who needs forgiveness, Katie. Oh, yes, I fell in love with Pat, but it was never right. Not the way we were always right for each other. I've known that for so long. Oh, but all that happened... We'll forget it, Katie. We'll forget everything that happened as though we never left the island. Can you do that? Yes. Oh, Katie, I love you so. I love you so much. And that was William Powell with George Burns and Gracie Allen. 
for the Burns and Allen show, and then Betty Davis and Glenn Ford in A Stolen Life for the Lux Radio Theatre. Just time to find out now who exactly in the hell that Hollywood legend was. I'm flabbing <laughs> Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Miss Carr, do you know who this is? Well, I think is it must be. Who do you think it, it is? Must be Lucy. It certainly <laughs> is. Lucy. Yes, of course, it was Lucy herself, Lucille Ball. Thanks for playing along, and more Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend coming soon. That is all we have time for this week. Thanks for dropping by. Remember, if you'd like more of these shows, there are over a 100 now available if you sign up at Patreon. I've also just released an entire bonus show dedicated to my Halloween watch list for this year, as well as an illustrated guide to the films themselves. You can read along as you listen. Halloween is very prominent this month on Patreon. We watched Plan 9 from Outer Space at last week's film club. This Sunday, we're watching Hitchcock's horror classic, Psycho. Also, I have a couple of spooky stories being released on Patreon, as well as lots more classic horror bonus audio, including, of course, access to a universe of horrors, my seven-hour guide to universal horror movies, and an all-new movie commentary for a classic horror movie favorite of mine that releases in about a week from now. Plus, of course, patrons get two days of access to November's film festival. All available now if you sign up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret or follow the link in the show notes. Until we speak again, then, thank you so much for listening. Take awfully good care of yourselves and those you love. And bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.